Good morning. Uh, my name is Mike, and I realize uh, I can no longer assume that uh, I know people. Our church is looking different every week, so um, welcome. Would love to meet you if you want to say hi. Um, and I've been here a while, 12 years now. Um, you just blink, and it happens. If you're new to this city, um, you think you're going to be here just, just for now, and then uh, it's 12 years, so um, get ready. Um, before we dive into today's passage, I want to ask a question, which is why um, folks my age-ish, uh, if, you're, if you're on either side of me, but especially a little younger than me, you often kind of, there's like, like there's a, something that arises within you as you go through everyday life, which is like, why am I doing this, right? You just, uh, how many people ask that question uh, regularly, all right? Oh, just come on. More of, more of you don't want to know that you're doing that question. So you are asking this question very frequently. Why am I doing this? And so... Um, I wanted to ask, why are we doing this? Why are we sitting here, and why are you uh, in uh, church? Why are you worshiping with others? Uh, why are we listening to the word preached? Um, and the simple uh, reason is all the things, what's great is that all the songs we sang today and everything we've been doing kind of very explicitly says why we're here because of what Jesus did in coming uh, to be with us, uh, fully God, fully man, the Son of God. Um, but what I want to ask is something that I asked the youth group last week when I was uh, hanging out with them, which is how do you get to know somebody? Uh, what is the manner in which you do that? And there's a couple ways that you get to know someone. You talk to them. Often you'll hear stories about them uh, from them or from others. It doesn't matter. You need to know some stories about them. Uh, if I told you how do you get to know me, and you, you would say, well, let me tell you this story of something he did once. And that's uh, totally him, right? Like, that's how you would get to know someone. Another way is to describe the person's character. What are they, like, you'd use words. He's very uh, nice, or he's very not nice, or, you know, in whatever direction you'd like, you use descriptions of their character, and you would then try to understand how this person acts and thinks and does things uh, through all of this. And so what we're doing now is not a motivational talk. Um, it's not a speech. Um, we are getting to know God, and we're doing that with each other. And so what I want to urge you to do is, you know, I will be talking here, but there is another conversation that can happen, which is that you can talk to God while we're doing this. And so don't forget to do that. Uh, don't forget to do that. Don't forget to listen. Uh, there is sometimes a conversation that happens beyond the conversation that's being said out loud. And don't forget that God wants to talk to you, both in the recesses of your soul, but also through prayer and conversation with others. And so I want to draw attention. There are uh, very frequently people on the right window um, that will be there to pray with you as worship ends. And sometimes you hear absolutely nothing. Uh, in the evenings when I pray with my kids, when it's my turn, I will pray with them. Sometimes we just listen to God. And sometimes like, do you hear anything? And it's like, nope, don't hear anything. And other times... The Lord does speak to us. Uh, remember what we're doing. And if you have any questions that come, ask them in your heart right then and there. I say something, it doesn't sit well with you or it stirs something. Uh, ask the question. If God doesn't answer, ask again. Or then come and pray with someone and ask the question. Go to community group. Ask that question. Pray and seek God. That's what we're here for, to come and worship and hear the word preached to know him better to love each other as he loved us so we can go tell others.
So in light of this, I was in community group last week, and we started the discussion about last week's sermon, which was about uh, that God is called Wonderful Counselor, right? And uh, actually, one of our sisters who, for whom uh, Korean is her first language, she said, you know, actually, my Bible doesn't say, uh, doesn't sound like Wonderful Counselor in the way that it's translated. And she said, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it more sounds like, you know, otherworldly, really incredible uh, strategist or, uh, uh, um, you know, so, someone that's like in really kind of not of this world that is helping you figure out your, your strategy. And actually, if you know the English definitions of wonderful and counselor, those are actually accurate as well. We just say, oh, this sausage is wonderful. Or we say, you know, I went to my counselor and I cried and they just like listened to me. Uh, but actually, a Something that's wonderful is something that inspires awe and shock and wonder, and a counselor can be seen as an advisor. Um, for example, in Job 42.3, wonderful is translated using this way. You ask, he's speaking to God, and, and Job is someone who's in the midst of a lot of tragedy and difficult questions about what's happening in his life. He says, you ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely, oh, there's this, I think there's God talking to Job, actually. No, no, that's Job. He says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. So he's not talking about wonderful like, this is a really pleasurable thing for me to know. He's talking about something that's just incredible. Um, for a counselor, a good example is that when you, when you look up counselor, just even in English, uh, the ESV actually tries to use a consistent word and translate it the same way each time. It's not like counselor that where you lay on the couch. Uh, it's in the context of people who advise kings, create military strategy, uh, things like that. 2 Samuel 15, 12. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, King David's counselor, to come from Gila, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept on increasing. So now you understand a conspiracy against King David grew in strength because the counselor joined it, right? Does, it, does this give you a sense for wonderful counselor? I'm not preaching last week's sermon. I'm just giving an example of why we have to investigate mighty God, which is what this week is about. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's take a deeper look at the next title in this prophecy about Jesus, mighty God. As a note, we actually, I don't have the QR code. Um, we've been including sermon notes uh, for people for whom they'd like to follow along, and I tried to make it more concise. I don't have the QR code, but if you had that link in the past, it's the same Google Drive link, or it's in the Church Center app, which we have desperately been trying to get people to download. So uh, if you want those notes later, they are there. So first point, what does it mean that Jesus was mighty God? So let's do a little bit of background in case this is your first week here. For the prophet Isaiah, who is hundreds of years before Jesus came, there's a king Ahaz. And what Ahaz prefers, which is not surprising, is that he would prefer to have a military alliance to protect him from threats rather than to trust God to deliver. So he'd rather pay another kingdom protection money so that he knows that help is coming rather than hope help is coming in God. 
And so even though Ahaz wants to go that way, he doesn't want to hear from God. He's like, actually, I don't, I don't want to know what God wants because usually, yes, God does deliver, but often God wants me to do things that I uh, don't want to do because I want to do what I want. Um, God says, I'll give you a sign anyway, and I'm gonna, you're not going to be able to deliver yourself anyway. Here's the sign is that a child will be born. Now, as we said last week, there is a, actually, if you look in chapter 8 of Isaiah, a child is born in chapter 8. Uh, and so there's some way in which what Isaiah prophecies is fulfilled around that time. But then there was some elements in which the prophecy is not fulfilled. For example, there seems to be a promise that like this is going to last forever. It's going to be awesome forever. And it never really, really does. Uh, and by Jesus' time, they are experiencing what a lot of us experience when we live apart from God, which is anything that we think is going to make it all awesome just seems to fade away, slip through our fingers. And so they find themselves longing over the course of all this time for something more. And they look at the words of prophecies like this one, and they look at other prophecies like in Daniel, and they say, we believe there's something more, someone more that's going to come. Because for whom would these titles work? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. These titles point to somebody more. Um, and so the term mighty God, if, if uh, again, we'll just, a really easy thing to do if you're like, I want to know more about the Bible, is just when you see something, go look up the same place that that word happens other places. Especially if you're using a translation that tries to keep that consistent. It's just a great exercise. I'll share with you what I did. I literally went on BibleGateway.com and said, Mighty God, and typed it in the search. And here are some of the passages that came up. Look, I, look, it's not, I'm not, there's, there's no wizard here. This is, you can do it. Um, Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Nehemiah 9, 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. Jeremiah 32, 18. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And so when Isaiah says, a child will come and he'll be mighty God, I think maybe at the time they're like, oh, you just mean like the mighty God is with this child, this with this person. But then over time, they're not saying that there's going to be a person that's going to be the mighty God that feels a little too not Jewish and the right religion for them. Um, but there's some sort of like someone's coming. And so when Jesus came, he did not claim just to be a wise teacher or rabbi or even a prophet, but he claimed, or not even just a good man, good person, but he claimed to be God himself. And when you consider that people believed him, you have to think about how unbelievable that is. If you are Jewish, you've spent your entire people's history with a God who is like, everyone is worshiping things in the universe or people in the universe or th things that are created and perceivable, your God is not that. He is not in here. He is not in the universe. He is 
outside of the universe. But, and so this would be unbelievable to a Jew, or, but if you're, or even if you're Muslim, or, you know, th- this is an objectionable part. What do you mean Jesus? Jesus is a prophet. He's not Allah. He's not like the God who made everything. This is kind of crazy. Even if you are agnostic or atheist and you're here this morning, if I told you, hey, there's a reason, the purpose for which everything exists, there's a reason for living, and I told you, and it's in a guy or, or this, a baby, you, you, I don't think this is like the answer that you uh, are going to go for. But Jesus claimed to be mighty God, which means that all of life, the reason for life itself, the purpose and meaning for how we ought to live. Scripture even says the literal force that's holding this moment together is him. If Jesus is mighty God, it means he's the reason for everything in your life and mine. And not just that, but everything that is rather than is not. First Colossians, not first Colossians, that doesn't exist. Colossians 1, 15. Uh, I'm, gonna make, I'm not gonna make a joke. Okay, uh, Colossians 1, 15, 16. He is, talking about Jesus, the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, right? Not just this is the first action that creates all the others. Their existence is for him. This is the first and most important thing, right? Jesus was a man whom by his life, death, and resurrection revealed himself to be mighty God. And so this is an incredible claim, and every single one of us, it doesn't matter where you are in your faith journey today, you have to kind of sit back and constantly grapple with this. Is he the reason for everything? It's, it's hard to even bring all of that in. And I want to urge you, whatever, wherever you are in that journey, uh, you know, you can't really grasp this. You can't take it in. You can't even believe it except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith is granted through the Spirit. And so I want to give you a second right now. If, if I just said Jesus is the reason for everything that is, and you have not really thought about that in a long time, or maybe you've never thought about that, and you want to know that, We're just going to take a second, and I want you to ask God to help you understand that. Or if you don't know him, you could say, Jesus, I don't understand this whole part of you being the reason for everything. Uh, Show it to me. Show it to me. I want to know. So I want everybody to bow their head for a second. Just just one second. It's, It's by your invitation. He will not force it upon you. Jesus, show me if you're real. Show me that how you are the truth, the life. I want to know it. I want to know this more deeply if I already know it. Show me how you are the reason for everything. Help me perceive it. Take, take just a few seconds and pray that prayer if, if you want to pray that this morning. Amen. Only the Spirit can reveal to you his presence and power. So, again, maybe nothing happened just now. It's possible something did. That's happened before. Um, But let someone pray with you if you want to pursue him more.
Or maybe like King Ahaz, you're a little worried about what that might entail, and I would argue that you should try to dig into that too. Our application for this is also not just this moment we had, but do you spend time staring at the implications of Jesus as mighty God? Do you look at the scriptures to know him? Do you, when you pray, are you trying to grasp how, the, how he is who he is? Do you think about him? Uh, I met more than one person during my college years whom I really admired. Like they had not just incredible faith in the sense that they really liked going to church or stuff like that, but they were just so loving. They were, there was one sister I remember. She goes to a local church in the area still. She still lives here. She was just like, she was a senior. And you know how seniors don't usually care about freshmen that much. Um, I mean, unless they want to date them or something. But you know what I'm saying, right? So, but she was not trying to date us. Um, and she was really <laughs> loving and really spent like a lot of her time. And it's not that she didn't have friends, you know. And I was just amazed by this sister. And I remember sort of like asking, what, at what point did you become so passionate for the Lord that this love that you have is so palpable? She said, well, it started with me just sort of reading the Gospels, like a lot. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, somewhere in there. The book of John, which we're going through as a sermon series, just reading it and just reading it again and reading it. And she said, somewhere in the middle of that, I found myself just completely on fire for God. And so do you stare at God? Do you stare at the Jesus as mighty God? I think it will transform you if you spend the time. When you get together in community group, are you like, we need to look at him. We need to look at him and behold him. It will transform you, I promise. There was another sister, the same thing. She was just like, I didn't know what to do. I asked someone, they said, why don't you read Matthew? I did that. Why don't you read Mark? Why don't you read Luke? Why don't you read? Okay, I did those four. Why don't you do it again? And then I, I don't know by what revolution, she was like, I was transformed. Stare at God. Pray and seek to know Jesus as mighty God, the God eternal who became human. Point two. How did Jesus live out his life on earth as mighty God? Uh, there's a really peculiar element to Jesus. The whole thing, mighty God, like infinite power, literally the definition, uh, is that he comes and he often refuses to use his power. He's all the time being offered opportunities to use it to get more influence a bigger platform, more people that can hear him and see him, more ability to do good things, right? Because if you like, they want to make him king at one point and he refuses. And he, he refuses to use his power. But why? And I think why is that in short, he restrains his power so he can more fully, in, in very clear terms, declare who he is, who God is. And this way of restraining power is what we call the way of the cross. He actually restrains his power so he can be fully known as a God who is self-giving love. His power serves him in expressing himself as God so we can understand love. Does that make sense? Uh, this happens, I hear all the time, uh, I don't know this experience, but some people say that when you suddenly have no money and then you have a lot of money, you don't want people to find out because then your relationships change. You can't interact with them. The power of the money suddenly just utterly changes the relationships. Um, 
I think that's not a bad way to understand that Jesus constantly was avoiding displays of power that would prevent the intimacy that he desired with people. He wanted to reconcile people, not make them do what he said. Um, Pastor Fletcher Lang at Somerville, our City on the Hill Somerville sister church, uh, he, he writes a newsletter. Uh, in the newsletter, he'll write his congregation sometimes. And he talked about a really interesting thing, which is that uh, some Christians think that what we need to do is primarily, in some ways, seek power uh, to get greater and greater influence and control over every institution in the world possible. And while it's not, we are called to use our influence and what we have for the purposes of God, which I'll talk about later, his point was, is that it's not just a, let's just get as much power as possible as Christians in the world, in every institution and place. Because, and his answer of why, it was actually really easy. He's like, well, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't try to come and take over everything. And his disciples, I would argue, after the resurrection, they also did not try to go take over everything. So Jesus actually, at some points, avoids being made king. What is the temptation that Jesus faces in the wilderness? He actually is like, hey, why don't you use your power? And he says, no. He says, then Satan's like, okay, you don't have to use your power. I'll give you power. You could do a lot of good if you were totally in charge right now. He says, no. And then Actually, I don't know if you know this, like people are like, oh, well, Jesus came along. He was this unique figure who claimed to be someone. You read carefully, and if you know Jewish history, there's a lot of people around here that tried to claim to be someone, and they're like, follow me, I'm somebody. And a lot of them tried to start political and violent insurrections. They tried to take over or throw off Rome by means of violence and by means of just a grab for power. And Jesus did not do that even when they tried to make him. What did they do? Well, what did Jesus do? He modeled over and over again not to use his power except where it would reconcile people to God, where it would reconcile people to each other and reveal who he is as a God of love. So Jesus restrains and channels his power so he can fully declare who God is. And this way of restraining power is what we call the way of the cross. Jesus is basically silent on his way to the cross. He does not defend himself in any way. He suffers and bears the punishment for the sins of the world. He, the, the, he's the only innocent human being ever, and he bears the guilt, shame, and brokenness of all. And it's his mighty, how is his might expressed? In his love that restrains his power because this act of love, in dying on the cross for us, it would repair and restore people to himself, to each other, and this would be a revelation of who God is. He doesn't use it in a way that would be misinterpreted. He's very careful about that. He tells people, don't tell people I healed you. That's not the point. I wanted you and me to have this. You don't have to tell everybody. He doesn't display his power in, in ways that would be misunderstood. He does display it, though, in ways that bring people close to him. He comes as a helpless child in the midst of our darkness and waiting. 
He shows the power of his love and forgiveness when he dies for, for us. He shows his power in the way that he breaks the chains of sin and death and he brings this kind of preview of the complete freedom we're gonna have when he returns, right? A lot of people in this room, if you go around and ask, they've received like renewed freedom from God, but it's not complete. It's meant to be a preview. And that's how he shows his power in the preview. He doesn't force others to follow his will, but he reconciles people to himself first, and then he allows them to live out as brothers and sisters, as children of God. Question, what's easier, to just brute force someone you have power over to do what you want or to like get them to really trust you even though you're so powerful and to get them to willingly do what you know is good for them? I'd argue the latter is much harder, right? It's a lot harder to get someone to freely come and, and trust you than to just say, you're gonna do what I want now because I'm stronger than you. Jesus reveals himself as mighty God but a God whose might is displayed fully by his restraint and his love, his sacrifice, and his power that's used in wisdom to reveal the character and the love and the mercy and the reconciling power of God. So given that we understand who Jesus is as mighty God and how he lived out his life as mighty God, the third question is, how do we follow in the way of Jesus? How do we live for him? How do we live out of the good news, the gospel of Jesus? Well, the first is we have to believe it. So again, if I haven't really made that clear, I had to like just think about this more, is what does it mean that Jesus is mighty God? Honestly, I haven't thought about it a lot lately. I had to think about it again. If you've never thought about this, you have to believe in the gospel. Jesus came as a loving response to our rejection of him. He died for us he paid the penalty for our sins. He endured our shame and guilt. He suffered in our place so that we could find restoration with him and with each other. So we follow in the way of Jesus by living in light of the gospel. We believe in the gospel. The next is that we recognize uh, uh, that we live our lives out of loving obedience. So, so like I said, we're not doing things in order to earn a restored relationship, he humbled himself this way. He came and emptied himself, as Philippians says, of power so that he, we would know it is safe. He is not here to crush us with his power. And so we can live our lives out of loving obedience. We can, we can love others because we're reconciled and restored. We can forgive because God forgave us. And we sacrifice because God gave everything and more for us in Jesus. And one thing we do, one thing we can do because we've been given such a good picture of this is we use our might, our might, our potential, our gifts and abilities for the purposes and mission of Jesus. We wanna reveal the identity of Jesus, the character of our God in what we do, and how we use what we have. Because God's power is most fully displayed in his love. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus' might is displayed in his love. 
So my question today is, what does that mean for you and for I? How is God calling us to live, given the way that Jesus lived among us? Taking up his cross literally. We're called to take up our cross figuratively, but really live a life in which we are dead to ourselves and alive to God and loving others. How is God calling you to live? If Jesus is the reason for everything, if he lived in such a way that he revealed this is the posture of our God towards people in this part of time, how is God calling you to live? Is it possible that your investment, that your use of potential, you know, a lot of times you sit there with somebody and you think, is this worth my time? Is this person worth my time? Couldn't I potentially be having a far more stimulating conversation with someone else? Uh, Oh, you guys don't worry about that? Okay, sorry. (laughs) This is how it struck me. Um, What about people who aren't worth it? What are you saying about that? Opportunities. Do you see opportunities through this lens of needing to declare the character and the mercy and the reconciliation of God? Commitments you make. For some of you, you're, let's say you, you, the commitment of being here is enough that you don't feel super guilty about not going to church, but additional commitments, not worth it. Uh, maybe you don't go to community group. Maybe it is forming deeper friendships with people that you find less desirable especially in the church, but outside of the church. You know, Tyler talked about giving. Uh, is giving money in a way that just doesn't benefit you? I mean, I guess we're a 501c3, there's a tax write-off, but really, uh, is giving money worth it? But if Jesus is God, if he is the reason for everything, what does that say about giving? What does it say about how we spend our time? Prayer itself. I had you guys pray for a minute in here, but again, when we spend that time to know him, is that time worth it? He came and became one of us, born as a helpless baby, his power expressed through the lens of his love so that you could know his love, so that you and I could have a life that lives out of his love, so that we could love one another out of his love and to use our opportunities and potential and abilities as a reflection of his love. May we know this love, and as we know it, go and love others and tell others about our God. May all we do and say reflect our God, who displayed his power by being born in humility on the way to the cross. I'm gonna read from Philippians 2, and then I'm gonna pray for us. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of, each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Let me ask some questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the mighty God of the universe? Do you see how remarkable this is? Do you want to see it? Or is there some reason you would prefer not to in some area of your life? Do you see the calling to a life reflected in the cross? Are you taking the opportunity to know him and to love others and to live a life of potential that is winsome and laced in sacrificial love? Is your power and potential being used to forward your own agenda in life? Or are you asking how your life can be handed over to God and used to be a blessing for his kingdom and for those around you? God, we are challenged so much by the idea that you would come as powerful as you are and then empty yourself of using that power except in ways that would show that we are safe with you, that you long a reconciled and restored relationship. Even when people were wrong, sometimes you just let them be wrong and instead waited for the right time to display the truth in love. Even when interrupted, God, you welcome that interruption in your life. Even when hurt and betrayed, you stretched out your arms and you died anyway. And you took on the shame and the sin of us and you offer that gift to others. Lord, we are compelled. We, we cannot live the way you did. But Holy Spirit, you have promised us that you will not leave us alone but enable us to live out our calling as sons and daughters. Would you help us to do so in this Advent season as we are impatient enough to pray for your return, as we long for you to restore, as we seek to see you revealed as mighty God in full when you return. Be with us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.